the scaling was always a plan. I feel like my brain works where I don't want to do things small. I want, how do we scale? How do we make this bigger? How do we make this better? Welcome to the Business Muscle Podcast, where we empower entrepreneurs to transform their businesses into unstoppable empires. I'm Elise, CPA turned serial entrepreneur. And I'm Arielle, a seasoned physical therapist and business owner. We're two female entrepreneurs with a passion for helping small business owners like you achieve massive success. With our combined expertise, we've scaled to an impressive seven businesses in less than seven years. And guess what? Each of them was profitable right from the start. But we didn't stop there. We're here to share our secrets, strategies, and insider tips to help you turn your business into a thriving reality. And hey, we're not just all about business. As a physical therapist and fitness instructor, we'll also sprinkle in some fitness and wellness tips along the way. Join us on the Business Muscle Podcast every Monday as we guide you step-by-step towards financial freedom and building the business of your dreams. It's time to level up your business. Get ready to flex your business muscle. All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Business Muscle Podcast. We are excited for today's episode. We're going to do a little different style of our episode today. Today, we're going to get to know uh, our co-founder, Elise, a little bit better. So we're going to go through each of our stories. We're starting with Elise's story. Today, we're going to talk about how she scaled to five locations of her business in three years with no investors, no partners. Um, All during that process, she was getting diagnosed with kidney disease. She lost her mother and also lost a baby at six months pregnant. So had a lot of other things going on outside of the business. And we're really excited to talk about Elise's story and how she was able to run these successful businesses while all of these other chaotic things were happening in her life. So Elise, let's take it from the beginning. Were you always interested in becoming an entrepreneur? Kind of tell us your story from way back when. Yeah, definitely. So I was always one of those crazy go-getter kids. I played basketball and I was one of those kids that would like sit in the backyard and just practice for hours and hours and hours, even in the winter. And I feel like now looking back, I definitely had that entrepreneur spirit where I was driven to like, I was always trying to like come up with my own businesses, even if it was just like a lemonade stand. I feel like I was trying to make the most money. And these other kids were like, dude, we're just selling lemonade, like relax. (laughs) But I just feel like from an early age, I was like such a driven, crazy kid. And I didn't realize it till now I reflect on it. And I've actually talked to my dad and I'm like, did you realize how crazy he was? was And he was like, I thought all kids were like that. (laughs) But so from an early age, I was so driven. I always wanted to be my own boss. I've never had a problem with the confidence side of things. I feel like I always kind of beat my own drum and did my own thing. Um, And I ended up getting a scholarship to play basketball at Bentley. And so I got my degree in accounting and then ended up getting my master's there in accounting too and became a CPA. But during my time at Bentley, I ended up blowing up both my ACLs in the process. And that kind of took basketball away, which I thought was going to be you know, my long-term thing. I always thought I was going to play basketball forever. And then when that was taken away and I had to rehab, I definitely saw the strength side of things and the rehab. And I started to fall in love with fitness where prior to that, I would just do the workouts because I had to for basketball, but it wasn't like my main kind of focus. And so when I was rehabbing, I loved that side of things. And then ultimately when I left Bentley and I was a CPA and I was working all my jobs, which I'll talk about in a minute, fitness was always huge. I was always trying to do boot camps and taking all the classes I could. So I ended up becoming a CPA and being an auditor at KPMG, one of the big four, which for anybody that knows what that's like, it is the longest hours. You could imagine there were some days that we just, they got us hotels and we just stayed over at clients. Um, You're working weekends, you're working 
basically until they tell you to leave. And I learned a lot, but also it definitely took a toll. And I realized like, this is not what I want to do. I wanted to be out there being my own boss, creating, and I wanted it to be in fitness. So while I was at KPMG, and then eventually I went to Vista Print, I was always, like I said, taking classes, teaching boot camps, and just in the background, just waiting um, and never thinking I was actually going to do it. And that's where eventually Sweatfix came in. Yeah, I can't picture you doing anything else besides being an entrepreneur. I feel like I didn't know you before then, but it's hard to picture you going in and someone else being your boss. I know. I had to wear like fancy clothes. I had to travel on the train to Boston every day. Um, My last client was Planet Fitness. We took them public. So that was cool to see that. But the like 60, 70, 80 hour work weeks were not cool. Um, And just doing stuff according to how other people want it done. So we just did stuff because I told you so. I never really knew what the outcome of some of the things I was doing. Like, was this actually moving the needle in the company or was I just doing tasks that anybody could do that could have been outsourced? So I felt I was just burned out and I just felt like what I was doing wasn't making an impact the right. whole time. Yeah. And that's kind of your biggest thing as being an entrepreneur is what can we do to to make an impact and how can we drive the needle forward and kind of what's the goal of what we're doing right now? So it's I, I'm not surprised that that's something you didn't like about a previous job. Yeah. So I, while I was doing that, I was at Vistaprint. And if I was going to stay at a company, it probably would have been Vistaprint. They were awesome, but still it just, there was a bug. It just wasn't for me. I knew I needed to do my own thing. So I started writing out business plans. I didn't know what the fitness studio was. Actually, I didn't know. At the beginning, I thought it was going to be a combo spin and yoga studio. Um, and we were going to call it Spit on Yoga, which good thing we didn't go in that direction because that name's not that great. Um, but I would write out business plans. I would write out mock schedules. And then I got to the point where I started reaching out to people across the country. I'd find their businesses on Instagram. I thought it looked like what they were doing was great. And I would just DM them and ask to get on a phone call. So I got on calls with just other spin studios across the country. There was some local people that I reached out to, I reached out to Meg on, from Rev, the owner, and she actually was one of the only people that responded to me. So thanks, Meg. Um, and I would just get them on the phone and just pick their brain on what worked. What would they do now if they could do it over? And I think they thought I was crazy because I had no business. I was still working my job. I had no plan to actually open mine, but I was just gathering as much information as I could so that I could be ready if the time was ever going to come. Yeah. And that sounds like that's kind of step number one when thinking about opening your own business. If we have other listeners who are interested in opening their own, is that where you would start? Yes, definitely. Start doing your research, start networking now. All that back end work can be done right now. And the way my brain works, as Ariel knows, is I'm an Excel person. So I had just Excel spreadsheets, different tabs for literally everything. I had different tabs for the schedule. I had different front desk tabs. I had different tabs on what my events were going to be. I was planning events and I didn't even have a studio yet. That's how like crazy and just how much planning I like to do like in advance. I did my whole website on Excel. I didn't have a business and I mapped out what my website would look like. Um, so all that was done way ahead of time. I've learned to love spreadsheets too, <laughs> even though that was not my thing <laughs> starting yeah. out. That's not, wasn't how my brain works, but you can see how important that is in just kind of getting a really good feel for how everything is going to look once things are open. So was the vision for Sweatfix always to grow to multiple studios or did you think it was going to be just one kind of where, where did you start with that? Did you have a bigger vision for Sweatfix? Yeah. So to take it back, when I was working at Vistaprint, I got a call from somebody who I had reached out to previously and been like, you're not using the space. Let me teach boot camps there. And she said, sure. I don't want to get up at 530. You can teach them at 530. 
And so she eventually decided she was going to step away from training. So it was a personal training studio. And she said, I have a space. It's available in four weeks if you want to take it. So I sat down. And at that moment, everything that I thought I was going to do pivoted. So I had always thought spin. I always thought yoga. And when it came down to it, I don't know why. I wish I had journaled so I could actually look back and see like my thought process. But immediately something with the rower, it just popped into my head. I knew I always wanted to do strength training because that's what I love. And that's like my bread and butter. But the rower just stuck out to me as something that was so just versatile. It was, I had blown both my knees out, like I said. So it was something that I could do and be competitive with. And I realized that when it came down to it, I wanted to launch something that nobody had ever seen before in this area. So I really wish I had a better rationale, but I just looking back, I'm like, you just flipped the switch four weeks before you're going to open a company. Um, I went to New York city. I tried out some of their row classes and sweat fix was kind of born on what I thought I, I wanted, like what I wanted out of a studio. I wanted a low impact studio where I could be competitive, where I could walk out feeling like a boss. So when it came down to it, that's, that's exactly what I did. So I'm sitting there and how do we open a studio in four weeks with a lot of Excel spreadsheets? <laughs> so how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? And that's exactly what I did for four weeks is I listed out everything from the business insurance to the payment processing, all the stuff that I didn't think of when I was mapping out, it was actually go time. So I need to start making all these calls. So if you're thinking about starting your business, whatever organization works best for you, whether that's Excel, whether that's a Monday type project manager, whether you like to hand write it out, whatever works for you, you need to start writing it all down. And Ariel, you can attest when we opened Fix and Fixed Haverhill, we had an Excel spreadsheet and every column had a different, it was, it would have been build out, it was payment processing, it was website and everything had all the tasks we had to do. And over those weeks, we just checked them off. And that's exactly what I did when I opened my first studio is I just had all these tasks and I slowly, hour by hour, just got them done. I sat in that studio without heat for four weeks straight. I sat there and painted. We did the website, everything in those four weeks. I had my, um, what's it called? Space heater chicken because there was no heat so I, and no microwave. So I would heat up my chicken with a space heater. And then we just got it done one by one. So if you're thinking like, how do I launch it? Map it out. Remember an elephant, you can eat an elephant one bite at a time. Don't think of it as the whole thing. Think of it as one piece and just start checking them off one by one. Yeah. And it's so interesting because you have that logical side of your brain where it's very spreadsheet oriented and everything needs to go in a certain place. But you also have that intuition side where you go based on a feeling four weeks before you just had a feeling that the rower was going to be the thing that was going to make the business grow. And I think that's interesting to see in a lot of different entrepreneurs where they have both the logistical side, but also that creative side and that intuitive side as well. Yeah. And you said like, did you think it was going to be big? Did you plan like, and yes, when I, for some reason in my brain, I think I'm missing the piece of where people are like unsure and, and like nervous. I feel like my, that's missing in my brain because for the beginning, I thought we were going to crush it. Like, <laughs> and looking back, I'm like, wow, I was so naive. I was just so ignorant that like the struggles and how tough it is to open your own business at times. Um, but from the very beginning, I trademarked it. As soon as I signed the lease, when I was in those four weeks, I was going, going to a lawyer. I was trademarking it. Sweat Fix was eventually going to be a blog. And that's how I had the name, but I loved it for the business. So I trademarked that. I wanted a logo and a brand that could be scalable. 
I didn't want this to be Elise's boot camp because I wanted something that I could open in other states and other towns, and I don't need to be there. Um, so I wanted to make it look like SoulCycle was coming to town. And that's exactly what I did. We covered the windows. We had this logo that looked very fresh. It looked like it could be a franchise. And actually the first week when we were open, somebody walked in and asked where the other franchises were. So I was like, yes, we did it right. We nailed that part of it. Um, so the scaling was always a plan. I feel like my brain works where I don't want to do things small. I want, how do we scale? How do we make this bigger? How do we make this better? Yeah, that's great. And it just kind of kept you driving the needle forward of how, what do we do to get to the next piece? But I think you have a unique story because you've done everything solo for Sweatfix for so long. So you've had to make a ton of decisions by yourself through opening, expanding, making every hiring decision, every decision about where your next location was going to be, what you were going to do for marketing, all of those decisions by yourself. So do you ever experience decision fatigue? Because I know that's something that a lot of entrepreneurs experience. And how did you navigate that? Definitely. I think it's kind of hard to avoid at times. There will always be times where no matter how great you are at like outsourcing or pushing down, it's going to happen because at the end of the day, you are making all the decisions. Um, I wasn't great at it, but at the beginning, you're kind of just running off adrenaline. So I was there seven days a week. I did everything and I didn't know any other. I just wanted to make it work. So at the beginning, it really didn't bother me. I loved making the decisions. This was my dream. I finally did it. I get to make the decisions on like what people are going to do for workouts and what colors we're going to use. So I was excited. But then as the years went on and we add more staff and you have more questions and just, it's just more people, more money, more problems. It's just, it's <laughs> very true. Um, it definitely started to set in and that's kind of moved us in the direction that I'm sure we're going to talk about more in other episodes of making your team, empowering them and pushing things down and giving other people on your team the confidence in them that they can make the decision without coming to you. And that's what I'm working on. It's still a work in progress. It'll never be perfect, but that's, that's what we're definitely working on now. And we grew really quick because we did grow. The first studio was open in January. The next studio was open in September. Literally it was just back to back to back. So it was nine months. We opened our second location in Arlington. Um, and then a year later we opened right in Southie and then we had two more the next year. So it was like back to back to back. And the decision-making number of them increased tenfold. Yeah. You didn't really have time to stop and think about the decisions no. you were making. You were just making the next decision. And like you said, kind of running on that adrenaline in the beginning. I remember that in the beginning of Fix too. And then getting home and someone asking me like, what are we going to do for dinner? I'm like, I don't know. I don't care. I don't want to make another decision. You decide this one. That's so true though. Just like the simplest thing. And that still will happen. I'm like, I do not care. You make the decision on like where we're going to eat. Um, it's so true. That's awesome. And so how did you decide when it was the right time for the next studio and when you wanted to grow and add that next location? How did you make that decision? Yeah. So Wakefield's open in January. And it took off. It blew out. <clears throat> and I'm always very conservative with the budget, but this blew away the budget that I thought. The town of Wakefield was amazing. Everybody rallied behind the studio. It was in the first six months. We already hit six figures of revenue, but I was doing everything. And so that's when we started to build up the team. But I was like, we are onto something. This had never been done before. There's no rowing strain studio that does it the way that we do, where it's rowing for people who hate rowing. And it's built for people that never thought they had a fitness studio that they could come in and feel like a boss. This wasn't done before. At least I had never seen it. 
So when we were hitting these numbers and I was doing everything and people were now flocking to be on the team, we had so many people showing up for auditions back in the day. Um, I was like, we're onto something. And before somebody copies it, I want to grow. And I was at the stage of my life where I didn't have any kids. I was just so hungry. And the team we had was so awesome at the time. They were hungry. And so a lot of the people that taught in Wakefield, they were like, let's do it. And so we found our location in Arlington and a lot of them came with us. We did do auditions there. So we got a couple more, but when you have the team behind you and you have people that share the same vision and share the same why, it makes things a lot easier because it's not just your studio. It's also their studio. They're treating it like their own. And so that's how we were able to definitely scale so quickly at the beginning. And we did everything with as low cost as possible. So we did all the build outs in Arlington. I remember we had to go get staging and me and my lead instructor at the time, manager, Michelle, we painted the entire ceiling because they had painted the ceiling yellow. So we had to get up there, these super high ceilings and one tile at a time because they were all different tiles had to paint it ourselves. So at the beginning you are just in the trenches with your team and that's where you really need to lean on them because without them, there would have been no, second, third, fourth, fifth sweat fix. Yeah. And how did you make the decision of where you were going to put each next location? There must've been a lot that went into that decision. What did you prioritize when you're opening a new location? So I get asked this question all the time. And then I feel like people think that I have some crazy Excel spreadsheet that's like running the numbers <laughs> and you know, that would be on brand for me, but this is actually an area where it's more intuitive. So I grew up in Wakefield and we happened to have our first student Wakefield, which was amazing. And then I actually went to high school in Arlington, which is about 20, 25 minutes away from Wakefield. It's a town that's kind of closer to the city. It doesn't didn't have a lot of fitness. So I knew Arlington really well. And I was like, they are just missing something. So we would just go there. We would sit at coffee shops. We would work there and just kind of get to know the people in that community. If they did have a fitness studio, they had some yoga studios at the time. We would take classes there. We would go to the restaurants. We just wanted to get a feel like, is this the sweat fix type of community we want to be in? We look for egoless, just hardworking people that want to build a fun community. And that's how we found our second one was literally sitting at a coffee shop. We saw the sign across the street and we hunted that landlord down. She didn't respond for a while and we found a way to like get through to her. And we said, just hear us out. Just hear about our business. And we were able to get in. And then we opened that one. I think it was six weeks we did that build out and got in there. Yeah. Wow. So it sounds like a lot of the time it's coming down to the people, the clients and the staff. So what are some of the strategies that you use to find those solid team members? Like what were you looking for to find such high performing team members in so many different areas? Yeah. So the only way that we've ever advertised and we never paid for advertising at Sweatfix would just be through word of mouth and social media. So we were able to get to six figures in six months just through social media and word of mouth. And that was the same for building our team. So I was sitting at Starbucks when I did that first Instagram post and Michelle Thomas, who is one of our managers at the time, well, at the time when we first opened, she happened to just walk in. I remember seeing her and then she walked out and I got a DM from her and it just snowballed from there. All of a sudden I just started getting all these DMs. People didn't know what Sweatfix was, but they were so intrigued and they wanted to be a part of this. And then as it grew and people saw the awesome community, people just started reaching out. Um, and we didn't actually ever host auditions at the beginning because we had so many people that would reach out and they'd want to audition themselves that we didn't have to have open call. But my favorite way to find people would be current clients. 
people that are in our community that know our workouts inside and out better than we do because they take them every single day and they just want to be a part of something. They don't have an ego. They're not a big Instagram fitness instructor. They're just an average person who loves what we do and wants to help it grow. And that's what I look for. And that's still what I look for. I don't care what your Instagram following is. In fact, we don't even let you audition if you haven't taken classes at Sweatfix because we want you to see what it is before you decide you want to be a part of this team because it is so important to us, our clients and our instructors. That's what our studio is built on. We're just going to take a brief pause from this episode to tell you all about our free business starter checklist. This is the checklist that we wish we had before opening our first businesses. It includes every step you'll need to take your business off of the ground. If you're someone who's looking to launch your first business, head to businessmusclepodcast.com and snag your free checklist. Now let's get back to the episode. Yeah. And that's exactly how I got involved with Sweatfix was that mm -hmm. I came to an event that I saw on Instagram in the basement of a bar in Southie and you were there DJing yep. with your beanie on. And I was like, I don't know what it is, but I feel like I need to be around this person. And I was just so attracted to the vibe that you guys were putting off in that event that the next day I sent you an email saying, Hey, are you looking for instructors? And you said, maybe come take a class first, yep. <laughs> which I then did and obviously loved it and auditioned maybe what one week later, I had taken yep. a handful of classes, didn't know anything about what I was doing as an instructor, but you gave me that chance because I think you could tell that I was hungry for it. And I really wanted to be a part of what you were building and what you were growing, which I think is how you find a lot of our team and exactly. how, why they're so awesome. Yeah. I'm all about promoting within. We'll never hire a manager from outside. We'll never, everybody that grows with us, they grow starting from the bottom. Maybe they just start right at front desk and they work their way up. Um, and that's, and that's what I truly believe in. Yeah. And everything comes from within and it builds this really great team culture. So let's talk about some of the really big challenges that you've been through as an entrepreneur. There's been so many things. There's been kidney disease. There's been loss. A lot of different challenges are happening in your personal life while Sweatfix was growing. Let's talk about that and how you kind of manage some of those situations and continue to be a great business owner. Yeah. So that's like a great question. And again, another point where I wish I had a journal to like go back and actually see my exact mindset at those days. But for example, I remember being, I had a, I had a hernia and we knew that was a hernia, umbilical hernia. So I had went in to just get that check. They wanted to see before surgery, how big it was. And I remember I was actually at the gym on the treadmill, just walking at the time. And I remember getting that call and they said, yep, you have a hernia, but we found something else. And that, but we found something else. My body just melted on the treadmill. It was the worst feeling like your heart just drops. And then they said, we found there's a bunch of cysts on your kidneys Jeez, anybody in your family have polycystic kidney disease? And immediately I, like my dad did. Why they, we never got checked? I don't know. I think they were just optimistic. Um, so we realized, we found out that I have PKD, which is polycystic kidney disease. So my kidneys are eventually going to be double, triple the size of a normal person's and they're just full of cysts. And eventually I'll need a kidney transplant. So that was right when we opened the Arlington studio that I found that out. And so, and similarly, when I, when my mom passed away, she had pancreatic cancer and it happened very sudden. I was in the middle of opening the Southie studio. So it seemed like both of them were at times where I didn't give myself a chance to do anything else. I just moved forward. And I'm not suggesting for people that that's the best way. But for me, that was how I handle things is I just put my head down and I keep working forward. Um, and I wish I had a better piece of advice for that, but that's just how I handled it. It gave me something to focus on. 
it made it have more of a purpose at the time because I was doing it for, for example, my mom, she loves sweat fix. So I was not going to just stop. So I kept doing it in her honor. And now we do have karma fixes every year, which one's coming up soon where we do pancreatic cancer karma fix where we raise money and we just give it all back. So I found ways and similar with PKD, we do karma fixes for that to kind of give back to those causes through the studio and make it into more of an awareness thing and educate people on it and raise money instead of like, like a sad thing. Because at the end of the day, there's nothing you can do, but it's how you respond to things. Right. And it sounds like during those times, like just the timing of everything that Sweatfix was almost like a light for you in a t- really dark time. Yeah. Being able to focus on that and all the positives that were coming through Sweatfix, our clientele and our new staff, and that being kind of what was able to build you up during that time, both of those times is really, you know, amazing and seems like that it was a really positive thing for you to be able to focus on and kind of manage things. 100%. So let's talk about another really challenging time. And I think this is probably one of the most impressive things that I've ever seen in working with you through Sweatfix was how you handled everything during COVID and during the pandemic. And it was not even a day went by until you had a plan for what we were going to do. So let's talk about how you worked through that time and kind of leapt right into what was going to be the next step. Yeah. So when COVID happened, just like everybody else, I had no idea what was going on. I remember we sent the first email out a couple of days before it was full-blown lockdown. And we're like, we're going to space out the rowers a little bit more. We're going to have extra cleaning supplies. And then I, it was in within 48 hours. It went from that to we had to send an email that the studio was shutting down, that all, all five studios were going to be shut down. And we didn't know for how long. Literally six hours after we sent that email, we on our, our whole team, we jumped on a Zoom and I said, here's the plan. Here's what I think we're going to do. We've never done virtual classes before, but I'm going to bring the computer in the studio and we're going to just do at-home classes with water bottles or whatever people have at home. And eventually we could rent out weights if we need to. The team was amazing. They jumped on the Zoom. They were all brainstorming different ideas. And the very next day, we got on a Zoom and 100 people from our studio, almost 100, joined on that first Zoom. And it started with just two classes. I think I taught two classes in the morning. And then this grew to about 35, 36 classes a week. We were having background dancers when that was allowed, where instructors just wanted to come and be a part of it. We were doing yoga classes at home. We were launching new classes. We were doing trivia at night with clients. We literally were just doing anything we could to keep our community engaged. And my thought was, yes, it's not going to be what it was like in studio, but it's going to be the best product that anybody else could actually put out as well, other than like a Peloton. But the difference between us and Peloton is we actually know your name. So when we were on these Zoom calls and teaching these workouts, we're still yelling out the names. Good job, Susan. Awesome. Like we're still critiquing you. It's still your community. And so we eventually figured out ways to get the music to Zoom through and we just made it better and better. But again, it didn't happen overnight. I think a lot of other studios waited. They wanted to get it perfect, which was never going to happen, but they wanted to make just a better quality where we took messy action. And just with our energy alone, I feel like people thought it was awesome. And then we started to tweak it and fine tune it and make it even better quality. So for me, you take messy action. You just, you have nothing else. You have to just get it done. There's no other option. And that's where my mind went. And then we just took it step by step. You need walls. Okay, I'll be in the middle of an IVF treatment the day after a transfer, and I'm going to go there till two in the morning with my dad and buy and build walls. So that's what we did. We built 50 walls two days after my IVF transfer, which looking back, I would never do that now, but that's what we just had to get it done. So that's what we did. 
Yeah. And you talk about Swefix being like a light for you during dark times. I felt that so much during COVID. I was in a place where I couldn't teach as much during that time, but I was taking class every day. It was like the one thing I had on my schedule when I wasn't working. That's like what got me through that time. And I remember taking classes with wine bottles before we finally got some weights. Yep. But we were doing like two classes a day. Sometimes we had over a hundred people on some of those classes of people just like you know, really wanting that human connection, not being able to see people in person. And that was just such a positive thing during that time when everyone was just trying to figure out what was coming next. Yeah. And I feel like there was a couple key things that we did right that helped us survive the pandemic a little bit better than other companies that might not have made it out. The first thing is we didn't change our pricing at all. So I know there was a lot of spin studios in the area and they immediately dropped their pricing to like $5 for a virtual class or $10. And we kept ours exactly the same. We definitely lost a couple of members, but the majority of our awesome members, they hung in there with us. They stuck with us. They knew that in order for us to survive, this is what we had to do. We couldn't survive. We couldn't keep five studios open at $5 a class. So we held on to our exact class pricing and we just said, we're going to make this the best experience for you possible that you can get virtually. And we tried to add as much value as possible without just discounting. So that was the first thing we did. The second thing we did is we thought, what other ways can we make money? Let's rent out every single weight. Let's rent out every single rower. And we did that probably a couple of weeks. Once we realized the lockdown was official and we weren't going anywhere, we started doing that and that helped us a ton. So when you're in times of in your business that are tough and you're like, I don't know, think of other ways that you can utilize what you have without spending money and make some money to kind of complement until you get your feet underneath you again. So that was something that really helped us. And then the third thing was just having the team all on board. It wouldn't have worked if the team didn't believe in it and they weren't up there treating it like it was an in-studio class. The energy was the same. The excitement was the same. The people that were behind it made it what it was. And if you went to some others, you might have, it just didn't feel the same. They just were going through the motions. For us, we wanted to make this the same exact experience. So those would be the three tips that I would say helped the most. Yeah. And I think the team was such a huge part of that. And I felt like as an instructor, you were willing to hear what ideas that I had and what ideas the team brought to the table. And that was a time when we started getting creative with what clients wanted too. It was like people are asking for mobility and stretching and foam rolling. And I feel like during that time was when we started to brainstorm and that was like the very early stages of we could do something else in that field as well, which is exciting. We'll talk about that a lot more later on. But I've always felt like as a team member, we've had such a good relationship as your staff member. I've always felt heard. I've always felt seen and like my my values were uh, important to you too. So how do you maintain those good relationships with your staff now that you have such a bigger staff and as you've continued to grow? Yeah. So it's always been an open door policy. We have a big group chat. So there's always open communication, but they all have my number and they can text me, call me at any time. And I'd actually prefer that. Just get on the phone, give me a call. Um, we also do all hands meetings where we all get on Zoom. They used to be in person, but now the team's a little bit bigger. We do them usually in Zoom, but sometimes still in person. Where we'll go over some areas where people maybe need help. They want to talk about strength cues or certain exercises and just go over like the direction of the team. I always want the team to know where we're going. I don't want them to find out a promotion or something we're launching via Instagram. I want them to be in on the know to give us some feedback, maybe some suggestions we haven't thought about beforehand. So by making them a part of the process, I think it's been huge because it's not just my studio, it's everybody's studio. Um, during COVID, for example, I set up times with everybody 
And while I was walking, because there was not much else you could do, I would do 10 minute calls with every single person on the team out of all five studios. And I would just check in, see how they were doing, see what they were thinking going forward. And I would just do check-ins. Now I feel like a really good thing for the team is to have clear responsibilities for like the manager so that the team actually knows who they're, they're going to go to. So they don't feel like, oh, they're always bugging me. No, they can always come to me, but they know like if it's a scheduling thing, they'll go to Danielle or stuff like that. Um, it just makes their lives less stressful for always wondering who's the right person to go to. So have clear responsibilities for your managers and the line of communication where people should go through. Yeah. And it's just, it's such an amazing team culture. I've been on the team for almost five years. So at home, if you have not been to Sweatfix yet, definitely recommend checking out Sweatfix on Instagram at Sweatfix, sweatfix.com and getting in there and trying a class because it's a great community and great place to be a part of everything. So at least at the end of every interview, we like to do a fast five and just ask you five of our favorite questions. So first is what's one non-negotiable thing that you incorporate every single day? It would be working out or I guess moving because sometimes it's just like a stretch, but I will always make time for that. Whether if I have to get up at 4.30 in the morning to get it in, it's the only time I have, I will get up at 4.30 and move. Awesome. And what's one of your bucket list places that you'd like to travel? There's a bunch, but I would say Greece is on the top of the list right now or Italy. And what's one thing that you would go back and tell little baby entrepreneur Elise um, years ago? Yeah. So if I had to go back five years, I would still be in sweat fix. So I would say, start making your processes now and putting in systems so that you're going to make your life a lot easier. And we're finally seeing that now that we have a system for how we train instructors and we have a whole training, like, stuff like that was so huge at the beginning. We didn't have that. So even further before even starting sweat fix, I would say, go for it. You can do like start now. If I, if I could do one thing, I would have opened this company more like way sooner. Like I would have opened as soon as I got out of college, but there was some benefit in learning all the business side of things at KPMG. So I guess I won't take that away. And what's the best or worst piece of advice you've ever been given? The bet, the we'll go worse. The worst piece of advice was don't open a row studio. People thought I was crazy. And it's still, I was three studios in and I had another studio come up to me and tell me that nobody likes rowing. So that's probably the worst piece of advice. Not so, true. Yeah. <laughs> and what are three traits that you think every entrepreneur needs to have? Grit, vision, and passion. Awesome. Well, I think this is a great episode. Like I said earlier, check, definitely come and check out Sweatfix. It's a great place to be. And you guys know where to find us. You can find us at Business Muscle Podcast on Instagram. You can find us each on Instagram. I'm Dr. Ariel.dpt and Elise Kyra on Instagram. You can follow us at... Um, Business Muscle Podcast and businessmusclepodcast.com. We'll catch you awesome. guys next time. You just finished another episode of the Business Muscle Podcast. If you found value in this episode, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Your reviews mean the world to us and help us reach other listeners who can make a big impact in the business world. Don't forget to join our Business Muscle Podcast Facebook group where you can ask questions and chat with other like-minded entrepreneurs. Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll bring you more expert advice and practical strategies to help you thrive. Thank you for being a part of the Business Muscle community, and we'll catch you in the next episode.